Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? Hello, superstars. Hope you're having a magnificent day. The sun is shining on you and all is well in your world. Welcome along to episode 161 of the Howie Games Part A, featuring James Hurd. James Hurd is a huge, huge figure at the Essendon Football Club. He played 253 games for the Red and Black. James won two premierships and five best and fairest at the club, plus a Brownlow medal, a Norm Smith medal, five All-Australians, three Anzac medals, which are very dear to him, and is a member of the Essendon team of the century. Added to that, James coached the Bombers in 85 matches. James was coach of the Bombers during the infamous supplement scandal and was suspended by the AFL for 12 months. It was a very, very dark time for Essendon, for its players, for James and all sorts of people associated with the club. A very, very dark time. So many lost and left behind And no one seemed to care Those who should seems like they're blind Pretending they're not there Can't they see they hold the key Could make things better if they try Oh my Jaja, tell me why Now, this episode was recorded on July the 26th, 2022, prior to the Essendon board upheaval, the coach being sacked and James' name once again being linked to the club. So none of that is included in this conversation. I am really grateful. Is grateful the right word? I think it is the right word. I'm really grateful James agreed to come on the podcast. I wasn't sure if he would, to be honest, but he replied to my email within an hour and said he'd be more than happy to come on, which was fantastic. This is a story at its heart of a kid who loved the Essendon Football Club, became one of its biggest stars, then was brought to his knees by what happened at the club. Nowadays, James is running a successful business. He's got his health, both physical and mental, he's got the love of his family, and he has a really positive, easygoing manner. He looks forward, not backwards. Always looking forward, and most importantly, James is using the lessons he learnt whilst in the middle of the supplement storm to help others. He is making a difference in the community. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this two hours with James. It was a privilege to talk to him. I learned a lot about a lot, it'd be fair to say. I hope you do too. Enjoy the story of James Albert Heard. So when you search and then you find Know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I Come on children, try it with me We want to reach Mount Zion uh, This man's name is James Hurd He's a legend of the AFL But he's so much more than a footballer And a footballer c- coach James, welcome to the Howie Games in the brand new studios. You are the first one in these studios. Well, it's great to be here, Howie. Thanks for inviting me. And uh, it smells so new, doesn't it? it I know does. the listeners can't smell it, but it smells like a newly painted uh, house, but uh, very impressive. Apparently, three days ago, there was people with chainsaws in here, <laughs> concrete saws. But have you noticed that I've put red lights around mm. the black curtains to give it an Essendon feel. I, that's my greatest touch, I think. Well, I thought it was mood lighting, actually. I thought you were going to start <laughs> holding my hand. Uh, it's just, you know, I didn't get the Essendon, well, that's the, what it is. the red on the black, but now I notice it, so that makes me feel a lot more comfortable. <laughs> well, <that's laughs> it's not mood lighting for you and I. That's the idea. It was funny. We, we, we went back and forth about doing this, and, and I was pumped when I got your email back to say you were happy to do it, and then... Um, I ran across you in the Qantas Club five days ago and you said, geez, I'm glad to, you replied to my email, otherwise it would have been slightly embarrassing. <laughs> well, I think I replied the day before I saw you, you in the Qantas Club, so yeah, it would have been awkward. <laughs> I would have been dodging you around the, uh, around the Qantas Club. I was hiding from him. I was with Kath Lockman at the time and she was talking about, she said, she said, gee, James is... Like he's a powerful looking man. And I said, I think when you meet so many AFL footballers, we don't realise the size of you guys. But you've been out of the game for a long time now. And I, I, don't, I, I, I don't say this with a smile on my face. You obviously still make a real effort to keep fit. Is, is that part of you and what you're about? It is. Firstly, it was great to see Kath. I've only ever seen her on TV. Yeah. She's impressive. She is a star. She's doing a great job. Absolute star. I've got to say, the people I've seen on TV, she's going to go a long way. Very so. natural. Yep, very good. So anyway, but, uh, we digress, but yeah, no, I do. I um, I got hit by a car riding my bike back in 2018, I think it was, um, in Richmond. What happened? I was just riding and a lady went through a stop, uh, stop sign and ran over me and broke my arm, broke my leg. 
And I sort of didn't, couldn't exercise for three to four months at all. And it, you know, it, it really Ooh, got to me, it re- mentally really got to me and, you know, just couldn't handle it. And since then, I've made a really conscious effort to, to try and just, because it gave me a glimpse of what life will be like yep. in 10, 15 years. And I've got a bit of a theory that once you stop, it's going to be very hard to come back. So yeah, I try and get out and run and, and you know, do hour, hour and a half exercise most days. What time? Early. So I won't tell you what time it was this morning. You'll, you think I'm quite crazy. Well, how early? It was 3.30 this morning I got out. <laughs> yeah, not always that early. Was actually, Is that an alarm? No, it's just the body clock. So right. I, I've been working in the US for the last two to three years yep. um, through COVID. Yep. When I say working in the US remotely because the officers were there and you know, couldn't go there. So th- that, that started the body clock started pretty early. Um, so I just got used to getting up, exercising, and then getting on the US time zone. So... Um, and is it, it's, it's, is it running? You normally run I love or? the running. Um, I haven't had to run so much just because of the, that bike accident. Yep. But yeah, running or just some weights or just, just general movement. Because we had a 2000 premiership reunion on Sunday mm. and I looked at some of my teammates mm. and it was actually a pretty good incentive to keep exercising. <laughs> There's a couple there. You want to name any? Or we oh, just gonna... <laughs> I won't, I'll leave Paul Barnard out of the, <laughs> out of the equation. But no, they're, they're actually pretty healthy, but you just, you get to, well, I'm almost 50, I'm 49. Yep. And um, I do think that once you stop, it's going to be very hard to come back and keep going. How do you feel if you're in one of those rare situations? Because th- this is very similar to me. I find if I don't get some exercise every day. It makes me jumpy. It get, makes me edgy. I think it makes me difficult to be around with my wife and she's the same. So if yeah. we both had a day, it, it, it doesn't go, <laughs> like it seriously doesn't translate well. Poor kids. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> kids go to school. How are you, is it? Is it a real uh, mental switch on for you? Do you get edgy if you haven't had that opportunity? Absolutely, yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Tanya's the same. Yep. I think we, it's a very similar situation where if we don't, um, if I don't exercise, I'm not the same person. Yeah. And I, I, it takes a while to work out the sort of person you are. And, you know, having had mental health challenges along the way, mm. that was one of the things that really I identified as that that physical exercise. And no matter how much it was, it was I just needed it. And if I had it during the day, it was normally a good day. If I didn't, yep. it just, just didn't feel the same. And, you know, some people it's, you know, they need to have a routine and, and read, need to have time themselves, have a coffee. For me, it is literally get the endorphins going and, and get going. And I actually don't like doing it with anyone else. So right. uh, well, training- well, There's not many dudes doing it at 3.30, to be fair. No, you? there are. There <laughs> are. But training um, with a team for so long, you would think that that's- Yeah. You love that. But no, no, I, I need to run and be in my own headspace. And yeah, there's some great podcasts around that you listen to when you're running. I'm not sure if you know any, but- there's, oh, there's, there's some good ones. I know one around. or two. Yeah, I, know, okay. I know one or two. You very, walk, you very kindly walked in here and you said, oh, is it still the number one show? And I let you in on the secret that when we started and we had five listeners, we declared it was the number one show until actually got to that point. There, there's a word for that where you mentally picture something yep. and you make it happen. That's, we lied for three and a half years about <laughs> well, that very fact. You, you probably don't know, but Crawford and I did a podcast for about yes. a year until Crawford didn't turn up one day. <laughs> I was waiting in the studio for him and <laughs> went back three weeks in a row and he wasn't. And so he just, that was the end of He it. just wasn't there. Um, and you were always our focus, you know. It was always, can we get to, can we knock off Howie? I don't think we did. Right. But that well, was, um, but as long as you lie about it, it, it works yeah. fine. What, what, how do you go now? I, um, you're the athlete, so you've had a lot more bangs and bruises than me. I found, I'm 48 now. Mm. I found, I would say to people genuinely, till age 44, I felt no different. Right. I felt like I could run or jump or bat or swim or surf or exercise or lift weights. You know, it doesn't look like it. <laughs> Looking at me, thank you, James, for that little chuckle. No. But, but, but I, I could do all those things. I didn't feel any different. For the last four years, I found I start to get injured now and I mm. have to deal with pain and exercise. How do you deal with the fact now you have to put your body through things where it it's not probably good for your body, mm. but it's good for your mind. True. Uh, it's a different philosophy in terms of when I used to exercise until, you know, the 40, it was, you'd go as hard as you could yep. for as long as you could and you'd fall over and you'd get up and you'd be fine. Now it's, I think, <clears throat> just doing a smaller sample, not as hard, so mm-hmm. that you can do it the next day. It's yeah. just a different psych- psychology. So I find I don't hurt as much um, as I probably did back then because I'm just not working as hard, but that I, I feel better um, for doing it. So, did you get injured? I did. I used to have shocking um, calf. I used to run every six, you know, every six weeks of a calf injury. Right. But I, now I go at a pace where no one could possibly get a calf injury. <laughs> so I, so I don't. Or I, I just keep it within a, within realms, and I see, I seem to not get injured. But yeah, that 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 seems to me is don't push it to the max. Diet. 
how how serious are you about diet? Are you a man that has a couple of beers on a Tuesday night and a pizza, or are you you a bit more strict than that? No, no, I, I used to be. Um, COVID changed my drinking habits, for example, because I think there was they two, went up or the, down. No, down. There was two oh, yeah. way, two oh. ways to go. Yeah, most of the population went the other way. <laughs> well, from I, I, I started gather. going that way. Yeah, and you know, every night it was you know, a wine or a beer or whatever it was. But then I thought. I'm not going to get through. Yeah. <laughs> this is going for a long time. I'm not going to get through this. So I, I just went weekends. Uh, so I said, week weekday drinking, no, weekends. Yep. I've been, actually been able to hold that, you know, it's obviously every now and then, but I've been able to hold that pretty well. But then I started fasting as well. So I don't know if you? if you do the fast, but, you know, the 14, 16 hour fast so seems to be. tell me about that. Well, that's basically eating at eight o'clock, you stop eating. Yeah. And then don't start till between 12 and 2. Every day. Every day. Every day. Yeah. And that seems to work beautifully because you can eat as much crap as you want yeah, between right. two and eight. Yeah, so you just pile it in then. Pile it in and don't put on any weight. So okay. It's, it's actually, it's perfect. If you don't mind sugar and pizzas, which I quite do, you yep. can actually, it goes all right. And how long did it take your body to adjust that you wouldn't wake up in the morning at 3.30 and think, right, I'm hungry, I'm really hungry? A little bit of time, maybe six weeks. Six yep. weeks and that was, yeah, but that's that's been going for sort of, that was a COVID Yep. Decision as well. So. And what do you reckon it's done for you physically? Oh, look, and there's a lot of studies, and I'm yep. not scientific, but, no, but this is just it how works. it is for, for you. me. Um, fantastic. More energy, um, lost a bit of weight, feel better. Um, so there's no doubt with the regular exercise and fasting and then dropping the alcohol during the week, uh, yeah, I feel a lot better than I probably did three years ago. There's a lot of things I've admired about you, James. One is the fact you've pushed on with a long hair, which I, I really <laughs> respect. No, no, yeah, no, 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 let, no me, I, let me let uh, let me me speak my part first. I was thinking getting a haircut before Don't, I came in here. Do not, do not. So okay. I, I pushed on through COVID and then we got to the first one day international of the year two years ago and my boss told me I had to get a haircut. And mm. I, mine was as long as yours at that stage right. and I was proud of it. Yep. It was taking me back to my surface roots, you've always had this long, unkempt look from when you started playing football all the way through. You even stuck with it when you're a coach and now you're a businessman, you've stuck with it. Well, not quite, not quite. The only time I didn't is yep. when I went to work for JB Weir Goldman Sachs. Oh, when was, you had to be Who was one of the, right. the sort of the most, they're a stockbroking firm yep. and they're very, very, um, you know, established in right. the higher blue collar. Uh, so yeah, very, suit and tie. Suit and tie. Shiny and shoes. And the, the deal is... The hair doesn't go. Can't go both a collar. Doesn't touch the collar. Right. So um, I wasn't allowed to have the hair. What'd you go with? Did you go like full flat top or? Well, it was just short back and sides, but you know, I've got fairly large ears, so it just doesn't <laughs> suit. So this long hair is for one reason. It's just to, right. to, to tuck in. Did you feel like you were handing over part of your identity? Oh, yes. Samson, have you heard the story yes, of Samson's I have, hair? Yes. I definitely felt that my, <laughs> my, my masculinity was leaving me uh, with the hair going, but I um, I don't have a boss. So it's, well, I suppose I do it. The Giants, you've got Mark McVeigh yep. my boss, but I've known Mark since he was, you know, a 16-year-old kid. So he can tell me to do a lot of things, but not not cut my hair. You talked about working in America. There's, there's a lot of things I don't know about you. Um, what, what, what are you doing in the States, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, so we just sold that business. Um, so leaving footy, you know, sort of a, wasn't, it a, wasn't it easy, it wasn't a decision that was sort of made for me, was leaving footy in 2015. And interestingly, I didn't know what to do. I had a civil engineering degree. I'd worked in different business. We had a marketing business that I'd left and still sat on the board of, but I basically had to go and start again. Right. So, went over to France and did an MBA in, in France with the with the family. Where were you based? Based down in a place called Cap Tibes, which is down south near between uh, Monaco and Nice. So Sorry, I'm, Nice and yeah, Nice and Cannes. So. I'm going to end up stopping you time and time again. This could go five hours, which I know you're right. dreading. But tell me before you tell me what you study. What was it like going with your family and, and spending time in a wonderful cultured? place like France where, to be honest, if you don't speak French, they don't give you a great deal of love over there. No, so it was awesome. So we had, our kids were pretty young. I think William was maybe five and Stephanie was back then, should have been 15, yep. 14, 15. So she was uh, in year nine, Tom was in year seven, Alex was in year three or four and William was in kinder. So they're all at school what and experience. all in French schools. So in French they, schools? They were dropped into French schools. So they, they hated it. <laughs> I was just giving it the one experience. So, you said so, I hate no, it. no, they didn't. They liked it at the end. But can you imagine? The, oh. So Tom was what was he? Twelve, just probably entering puberty, year seven. Footy, footy, footy. About, footy, footy, footy. We're going to drop him in a French school. No, I'm going to speak English. Um, here, here you go. 
And he just looked at me and said, we're doing what? <laughs> we're, doing, we're doing that. But it, by the end of it, they could all speak French. The only one that couldn't speak French was me. Right. They could all speak French. It was a great cultural experience. We met some great friends. Um, and, and, so were you going into a, a university campus? So that was based down south, but yep. the campus was up north. So okay. it was sort of a, it was a five weeks on, six weeks off type study arrangement. So I'd go up there then come back and go up there and come back. So it was an awesome experience. Yeah, loved the experience. And and it was necessary to sort of break away from yep. the football world. And out of that, I met a lot of really interesting young entrepreneurs and, and I suppose found a passion for startups. Um, and so really for the last six years, been funding startups with my own money, raising capital for seed capital for startups. Huh. Um, mostly in the US, Europe, and um, a couple here. So that US business we we seeded and raised money for back in 2017. Okay. Um, that went really well. We sold that last year. We've got a we've got a fitness dating app that we've just started. Oh, a now couple, tell me about pu- this. How does this Perth work? Guys. Well, it was a couple of Perth guys that came to me in October last year and said we've. The world of dating, which, you know, I've been married 25 years, so it's yeah. not in my scene, but that's going to online dating. And the world of fitness, which is obviously these two massive passion points, yes. put them together. So a dating app for fit people. Well, I met my wife at the gym she worked at. Yeah. So this is, and, and so what's happened is people don't can't talk at gyms anymore, socially sort of not working. Yeah. So you put the two together. Perth, Sydney, Melbourne, now the guys are taking to London and it's going, going really well. So that's what I love doing is finding young your entrepreneurs yep. finding them some money and say, let's go and go and, on the journey. And what do you what do you look for in people and the product? Because I'm sure quite a few things come across your desk. How do you decide which ones to put a tick to? Well, firstly, it's people. It's like, is and it? that's where football gave me a great <clears throat> a great um, leg up. I think is if if you want a teammate, you want a great teammate, not one that's going to do the wrong thing and and not be trusted. And so that that's really important. So not only trusted, good values. Um, but they work really hard and they listen and, and they want to learn. I think that's a really important characteristic. Um, and then the business side of things, something that can grow. So the reason that I love this, that we really like this fitness dating app was that the I think it was 53% of me, uh, people meet online. It's now 65% of people Is it? meet online. So it's wow. only growing, it's not getting smaller, hmm. but it's a toxic environment. So, you know, I'm, sure, I'm not going to mention other names, but really quite toxic environment. And then the fitness world is only getting bigger and bigger. You know, the lifestyle, health and wellness is only getting bigger and bigger. And then the data aggregation, the data you get from these fitness apps, dating apps are huge. Like you think about the, what people will, will give you permissible to then feed back to them. Mm. So there's a big data play. It's a big, um, there's a big sphere of influence. It's a big, you know, it's, it's a big business. Um, and, I, and I think the other, there's a lot of toxicity in them. So take that, that, that toxicity and in a big global business, it's going to be quite successful. So what's it called? Can people get the app Yeah, now? no, it's called Fitify. Well, plug it, Jim. Fitify, yeah. Fitify. You, you should get the guys on for a show. They are, right. these two Perth guys are just, um, they're just, what are they, 31 years old? <laughs> I've never met it. They're like a couple of young footballers. They're like the Patrick Dangerfield of dating app. You know, wow. Just passionate, hardworking, really impressive guys. So let's start, well, we've, we've got a fair way in here, and we haven't even mentioned the word football. I, before we do, someone, I had Nick Revolt on this show eight weeks ago, and we chatted for, I, I love reading, and we chatted for 25 minutes about mm. books, and it was my favourite 25 minutes in the podcast for a long time. Someone told me yesterday, you're quite an avid reader. Yeah, I, I love I love reading, and it's it's a mixture of um, of business books, but I, I actually like reading really crappy um Spy novels, okay, so and this, murder this mystery what, novels. Okay, so what type? That, give me, a, give me, give me a couple. <clears throat> oh, there's a, I've just finished one. Um, a guy called Dan Winslow is, is, oh, the, is the author. Don Winslow. Don Winslow. Sorry, he's the best author on the planet. Um, so I just finished. I read two in three days. The first one was about uh, New York gangsters. Yep. And the second one was about a hitman based in uh, San Diego. I've read that one. And uh, you just get, you just the whole every problem, everything in your life. Just sits over here, and then you just did in these books, and they're so much fun. Have you read his mm. series, The Cartel? I've read the first two. He I has another I'm, one called The Force. Read that one last oh, week. Outstanding. Yeah. How good's that? And yeah. he's just got a new one out. See, yeah. he doesn't write crappy novels. This this bloke is a, a no. He's he's probably my favourite author there is floating around. Right. And I only discovered him on um, about nine months ago. I was on a plane. Right. 
And I read a lot on my phone because, you know, it just yep. saves what you have to carry. And I thought, I've got to read a book. I'm on the plane for six hours. I don't, what am I going to do? Don Winslow, yep. Download it, away we go. Bang. So, yeah. Bang. And how do you go with the I, – I, I have a theory that I try and read one fiction, then – one non-fiction, but I end up slowing down on the non-fiction when I'm in a busy period in yep. work where I just want enjoyment from reading. Hmm. H- how do you go working through the hard? No, good. I'm the same. So I'll, I'll read two or three books at once. So the the crappy, yeah, um, take you out of this world novel, and then the the business book. And um, I'll, there's one here. I'll, I'll, this I think is the best book on starting a business and how to how to build social networks and how to build right. nuclear networks to. Um, to go forward that I've read in the in the past little bit. Where is it? So the cold start problem, outstanding. Is that the one you're talking about? Yep. The cold and start cold problem. Cold start problem. And then the Barcelona legacy, which is about how um, they built Barcelona Football Club off the back of the IX model. Right. Great sports book as well. Maybe more niche, but um Okay, there's a nice couple of recommendations. Where is have you the got winter, your Don Winslow one? The Winter there? of Frankie Machine. Yeah, the Winter of Frankie and, Machine and, is a cracker. Yep. And he's got one. The Force. Called, yeah, The Force. That's it. He's also got one about a group of surfers called The Gentleman's Hour, right up my alley as well. So The Gentleman's Hour is based around that that comes up in this in this other one as well. Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah. So it's quite connected. I'm glad you like Don Winslow. All right, footy. Footy, footy, footy. Your family has a a long and storied history in the game. Back mm. to your grandfather, yeah? Yep. Yeah. So tell me a bit about your grandfather. He played for the Bombers? So he played in the 30s and 40s. Did he uh, play with Jack Jones? Um, I think he – I'm not sure if they played in the same – no, Jack's a, Jack's a little bit – he obviously knew Jack. Yep. Jack's a little bit younger. So Jack – how was Jack when he passed away? Well, Jack was – Jack started playing for the Bombers – probably in 46 or 7 when he came back from Bowdoinville. Yeah. So I think my grandfather played in the 42 Premiership. Okay. And I think he probably retired probably by the end of the 40s. He only played 100, only played 100 games. Right. Um, but knew Jack obviously very well. Did you get um, to talk to him about footy at that time? My grandfather? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he was, I mean, he was then the president of the club, then right. he was the vice, cha- vice president of the VFL, and he was talking footy all the time. Yeah, he was... He was he was a scary man when I was a kid. Was he? Well, he was he was head of, he was high up in the education department, and he was on the board at Essendon when I was a four year old kid, a five year old okay. kid. And there's no mobile phones then, so that when the phone would ring at my grandparents' house about eight thirty nine o'clock, he'd pick up the phone. All he could hear is, oh, "It's bullshit. It's this, <laughs> it's that, it's rubbish. You tell him that." Right. <laughs> and so it was either to the education department or the Essendon Football Club, and they were his two passions. But. Um, <laughs> He just he loved his footy, loved his footy, and loved watching me play. So, um, he he drive with my grandmother. He'd drive up. For, they lived in Romsey towards the end of his life, and he'd drive up on a on a Friday night from Romsey, come watch me play footy on a Saturday morning, and then drive home. And where were you playing oh, footy? Sorry, in Canberra. In Canberra. Yeah, in Canberra. So, um, yes. geez, I hope you're playing well. It's a long well, way yeah, for you don't get a touch. I want to get a kick. Wouldn't <laughs> yeah, I? right. But we weren't allowed to sit in his car on the way home. We had to drive my dad's car because there's muddle over the over the. So, oh, you know, so, yeah, okay. Yeah. So he was. And what what um what was footy like as a youngster in Canberra? Apart from incredibly cold of freezing, a winter, freezing, so cold, not being able to see from one end of the ground right, to the other, right? Not being able to feel your fingers, right? But we loved it. You yeah, know, um, you didn't want to fall over because you break your leg on the ice. You know that sort of. But it was it was great and. Uh, my dad was a you know fantastic, he was a passionate Essendon supporter, to the point that if Essendon lost on a Saturday, yeah, he'd get the Melbourne papers delivered to, to Canberra, and you just didn't, didn't read the paper. You weren't allowed to read the paper if they lost. Like that was how, there was this dark cloud would come over the, the house um, if Essendon lost. And in the in the late seventies, early late seventies, eighties till about eighty three, yeah. They didn't win much. No. Yeah, so it was, it was a dark household for a few years. So who were your footy heroes? Obviously Essendon players. Yeah, so probably Neil Danaher was the first. Yeah. Then Terry Danaher. Uh, obviously Tim Watson, Simon Madden were probably the the four. Leon Baker, I don't know if you remember Leon yes. Baker. But, I mean, Tim Watson was – I mean, how could you not love Tim Watson and Terry Danaher? They were just yep. superstars of the game and you know, it didn't matter – who won the Brownlow, who whatever. No, they were the best players by yep. by a mile. So he a, still he still has that. We spoke to him on the other day on the radio, Terry Danaher, and from the first sentence, he makes you smile. 
Oh, 100%. He's, yeah. just, he's got yeah. that rare personability about him that he, he walks in a room and everybody smiles. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny because I, I was lucky enough to play with both of them. Um, with, sorry, with Tim, Simon and Terry. Yeah. Um, my sort of first couple of years. And I, I never felt like the, oh, they were teammates. They were still were their, they? their idols. Yeah, it just didn't. I played in the 93 Premiership with Tim and I still couldn't really <laughs> <laughs> shake you. So I'm like, yep, thank you. <laughs> thank you. So they would have been posters on the wall? Posters at- on the wall, every wall, absolutely. Right. Yeah, they, they were the, they were the um, yeah, they were my idols as a child. Yeah. So was it football? We'll get to where you got picked up in the draft. It's sort of Tom Brady-style territory. So he's pretty deep in the draft, to be fair. But <laughs> I wish w- it was Tom Brady-style. Yeah. <laughs> the, were there other – because you've obviously be – You've really followed a, a passion through education and you, you're a very educated man. When you were going through school, how were you academically and was footy the plan or was there other things that you were looking at? No, my, my mother was, both my mother and father lectured at university and they were sort of Did they? sort of educated, not overly educated, but, you know, mum was a school teacher and, and, and she definitely drove education. Like I wasn't allowed to go out to training unless I'd done my... 20 maths questions. Mm. Or it was quite a, not disciplinary, but you, get, you knew that if you didn't do your homework, you weren't going to go to kick the footy to the point that, you know, I was, had to do my music practice. My dad had me doing ballet because that, he thought that was good for football and hang, just hang on, hang on. Tell me about ballet. I used to pack my leotard, not my leotard, yeah, my tights and my shoes yep. um, in the bottom of my bag. <laughs> I think it was a Tuesday and Thursday, and you, the, Canberra. I used to live in, near the city, yep. and Woden's. So Canberra's these sort of satellite cities of four or five, and Woden's a forty-minute bus trip. And that's where ballet was. And while my mates are going to kick the footy after school, I'd be ducking down to the bus station on the quiet, on the quiet, and catching. <laughs> and not one of my friends ever knew really? for three years that I did ballet. Um, but did it learn? Did it teach was, you that body was, awareness? And absolutely, that... yeah, it was awesome for my body. Yeah, um, but. You literally put the shoes on, put the tights on, and it was a bit embarrassing for a 11-year-old kid. Did you have Swan Lake style potential? No, I, was, I, I could tell that um, I wasn't much good because whenever we, we had people come in, like new students potentially come in and look at the yeah. um, the school, <laughs> the teacher asked me to stand on the side and just, <laughs> just you, you sit this one out. <laughs> So, and and the music. What what were you said you had to do music practice? What what music? Uh, the piano. Did you? Yeah. Do you still play it? No, but the, the, Tanya's been. She was a very good uh, violin player. So the four children are all very musical. Go back to it. Yeah, I'd love to, but I was so bad that yeah, I, I should. I, I think should. it would. I think it would do for you what fitness does. Can consume True. your mind, so yeah. you can't think about anything else. <laughs> That's a good point. Back to Herdy shortly. Next up on the podcast, and this is super cool, one of the greatest rugby league players of all time, one of the immortals, if you don't mind, Andrew Johns. A man who has been asked to do a lot of podcasts, he's just told me, and this is his podcast debut, so I really appreciate it. Andrew Johns, welcome to the Howie Games. How are you? Cheers, mate. I'm good. How are you going? I'm good. You've been asked to do a few of these before. Hundreds. Hundreds? Yeah. Hundreds. So I am very fortunate, and I appreciate that. Um... Why the reluctance to this point, mate? I don't know. I have no idea. It's like there's only there's only probably so many great interviewers, especially in this country. You know, you talk about Ray Martin and Andrew Denton and these guys. Seems like everyone's got a podcast these days. Well, I hate to let you down, but I'm not one of the great interviewers, but I'm going to do my best shot. See how we go. Do not miss Joey's episode next week. It is all about a country kid who became a great battling opponent and himself along the way. That is Andrew Johns next up on the show. All right, let's get back to James. How much did your grandfather row your boat to try and get you to Essendon? <clears throat> uh, I, I wouldn't have been there without him. Like, uh, really? Yeah, nepotism in sport is, is definitely there. <laughs> Good to hear. Um, so basically... My two, so the the big selection process for a boy from Canberra was the Teal Cup, which yep. is like your under eighteen championships, yep. but it was under seventeen championships back then. And the first year I played, I got injured in the first ten minutes. The second year I played, I think I played even less. So it, was, it sort of wasn't seen by scouts. Um, but I was playing okay in the senior competition in Canberra against men, against men, um, and then got injured. But. So, but with that, two weeks out in the grand final, the guy who took my spot when I was injured, he got injured. So, I ended up getting a game in the grand final. 
if Ainsley versus Queen be in senior grand final in Canberra, so it was a big deal. What position are you playing? Half forward flank. Okay. First half, didn't get a kick. Second half, kick three. We won the game by 10 points, played pretty well. So Essendon asked to see the tape. But for some reason, the first half of the tape got damaged. <laughs> And only the second half oh, of the game. For some reason. <laughs> some reason. Only the second Your half of the game. Your grandfather wasn't on the camcorder, was, was he? It was given over. Really? And, That's yeah. extraordinary. And I think he basically <laughs> said to Sheets, hey, you better pick him or I'm going to come down and right. sort Get on the phone again. Get on the phone. So Sheets, um, Sheets has never said that to me, but he's intimated that you know, that was a big reason. So lucky enough to get drafted. Pick and then number 97. 70, 79. Oh, 79. So I've got it the yep. wrong way around. No, so 79. 79. How, how many blokes were getting drafted? A hundred? Okay. Yeah, maybe maybe back then a few more. Okay. But it was the, the back end. I think it was eight drafted before me at Essendon or seven before me. So so when you walk into Essendon and you're a lifelong supporter and there is Tim and and the Danahers and, and Big Simon Madden, like, what are you thinking? And how far off are you? Oh, I'm a long way off. So I remember my mum and dad, were, we, we used to holiday in Bright so that all the families would come together, all the relatives. And mum and dad drove me from Melbourne, from Bright to Melbourne and um, – just basically dropped me off out the front of the gates. There's no, you know, induction or you know, <laughs> where's your son going to live? Or <laughs> right. Here's my bags and <laughs> dropped me off and a few tears from mum and then um, and then walked in the door and there's Gavin Wanganine just sitting on the bench. It was his first day as well and my first day. Just left my bags there and Noel Judkins' recruiting, recruiting officer drove us into the tan and uh, dropped us off. And so there's Gavin and I standing at, you know, the horseshoe waiting for everyone else and um, – yeah, Sheeds came up to me straight away and said, oh, Kevin Sheedy, I'm shaking, James Heard, yeah, you're the legend. He said, who do you think you're most like? Like, who would you compare yourself to? And I wanted to say Tim Watson, <laughs> but I couldn't say that. <laughs> so I said Mark Thompson. Right. Thinking, oh, yeah, that's, you know, I'm a you know, very good player, but he goes, oh, gee, you rate yourself, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, two laps of the tan, um, and then I thought, well, I don't know how fast you meant to do this, how fit I am, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run behind Tim thinking if Tim Watson's the captain, if I run behind him and I stay with him, I'll be okay. Yeah. Anyway, I think he finished second last. <laughs> <laughs> so, the right man. So with about 20 minutes ago, I sprint past him just <laughs> to make sure I, I did okay. But um, yeah, that was the first day and then it was just then it was just training. It was, yeah, it was, it was intimidating. It was um, everything I dreamt of. It was all the, all the highs, all the lows. Um, but it was, yeah, just throw yourself into it and, and and I was just absorbing everything, and I think that's why I went from pick seventy nine to you know a year later making my debut. So I just absorbed every bit of information I possibly could. And it's interesting when you go to recruit players now, you look for players who want to learn mm. because if 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 they don't learn, they don't listen, they don't get any better than when they were as a as a draftee. But if they listen, they learn, and they absorb, they can get, they can improve a long way. It's a great listen uh, lesson. I know we have a lot of kids listen to this show, and a lot of them love their footy. So listen to what James is telling you here. So who'd you play your first game against? It was the year later um, against St Kilda. Thompson and Heard by himself. Oh, here's another short one. Heard. Now will he play on casually? Stepped in. So played on uh, Russell Morris. Right. Yep, and the great uh, late Danny Frawley. Uh, right. My two uh, opponents. How'd you go? No, I got dropped the next week. Did you? Well, what? what happened was Terry Danaher was – I was emergency and Terry Danaher was picked on the team. Um, he tore his hamstring the night before the game or two days before the game. So the game was on a Sunday and she rang me at 10 o'clock. You're playing. Bang. That's, That's, it. It. That's, That's it. it. That's it. That's it. Yep. You're playing. Bang. Oh, thanks. Thanks, coach. Um, and uh, – Jumper presentation or anything? Nope. No, none of that. Right. You just... Were you number five at that stage? No, I was 49. 49. Terry still had number five. Oh, of course, of course. And uh, Did your grandfather get to come down? Did your parents yeah, get my, there? Yeah, my, my dad got there. My mom, no one else did. Right. Because they couldn't get a flight. Um, <laughs> but, and I didn't even have the right, so I didn't have, because only the senior players got the, the jacket and the suit, and so I got there in my tracksuit. just, <laughs> I didn't got there. <laughs> And I got in trouble <laughs> from the team. I said, why aren't you wearing the right gear? Well, I don't actually have the right gear. <laughs> you didn't give it to me. But, but um, anyway, it was, it was look, it was, it was awesome. And then took me the rest of the year, had a few injuries, took me the rest of the year, played the last three games. And that's when I felt like I, I, I played. Actually, it was interesting because the first game I was so nervous. Sorry, you sit in the crowd as an Essendon supporter or who do you – Hawthorne. Hawthorne supporter. You sit in the crowd and you just – how passionate are you as a supporter? You just – so I – and I went to that the first game and I wasn't passionate, I was just nervous. So I said, for the next game I play, I'm going to play like I'm a supporter. Right. I'm just going to play with that 
passion and exuberance. And so I, I remember we're playing, we're playing Melbourne, and um, every time we kicked the goal, I was cheering like I was, <laughs> I was in the crowd. Well, you had the <laughs> yeah, big banners right. in, yeah, the, in the eighties, clapping and yeah. <laughs> I wore myself out cheering. But anyway, got to played a few more games, and then the next year was ninety three. So yeah, we won the night grand final and ended up winning the premiership. So it was a, my twentieth game was the premiership. Kevin Sheedy has done it again for the Bombers. There's the bounce, Summerall, and there's the siren. Victory for the Bombers. And it's, I guess, the second premiership. Probably you have a more of an understanding, but. What is it like when you've only played 20 games and you've won a premiership? You're probably not aware of what's required. No. So the night grand final back then was a big thing. Yeah. So what was it? Was it the Foster's Cup? Or Foster's Cup. The Foster's, Foster's Cup. Foster's Cup. And we played Richmond out at Waverley in the Foster's Cup. And so I'd, I'd played four games of football. Paul Hills in the car. He'd played 15. <laughs> uh, Joe Mercedes might have played three. And I just remember we, we, there was an after party back at the social club. So the drive from Waverley to Eston's quite a big drive. You've got to go down the Monash. Yeah, you know, the, yeah. the Monash. We just had our heads hanging out the window, the whole, just screaming our heads off. <laughs> we just won the night grand final. We were 18-year-old kids or 19-year-old kids. It just felt like this was unbelievable. Yeah. So to then go on and win the the the, the, the um, AFL Premiership, uh, yeah, that, that, that party went for a, a, a long time. Against Carl Against Carl as That's well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as a kid, how does how do you celebrate a premiership? Uh, not only celebrate a premiership, but you talked about you're out there cheering your team on when you're playing. Uh, there's not many people get to play in a premiership, James, but no. not many that get to play in a premiership for the team they grew up being fanatical for. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And this is how bad a supporter I was. When Tim Watson kicked a goal in the 94, 1984 grand final. There's Western again with a hand pass coming over to Watson. This could be another goal. It is. Yeah. He did this celebration where he runs, he jumps, he puts his hands up. And so I said, if I kick a goal <laughs> in, the, in the grand final and we're home, I'm going to do this celebration. So <laughs> 10 minutes to go in the game, I pick up the ball, literally in the goal square, no one around me, I kick it, and I run and do the same. <laughs> I look like an absolute idiot. To the goal front, Spalding couldn't take the mark. Another goal to Westland kicked by Hurd. It's all over. It was all over a long, long time ago. Bombers 5-8 to 1-2 in the first quarter. Set it up and they've just gone on with it. They can start celebrating. But um, how do you celebrate it? Oh, it was, it, it didn't. I was back at uni three days later, so it wasn't like it was this, you know, long thing that goes on now. But, um, yeah, it was just incredible, really, to think that there was myself, Mark McCurry, Joe Mercedes, Rick Olerenshaw, Dave Calthorpe, seven or eight of us the who played bombers. less than 20 games. It's extraordinary, and we won isn't a premiership. It? Yeah, it was um, absolutely unbelievable. And how much of that was due to the coach? It was an enormous amount. Due to uh, enormous amount, he he gave such belief to his young players. So that that was his that was his yeah. thing, was it, to give you belief? I think Kevin Sheedy has a lot of great attributes as a coach, but his his greatest attribute was you always believed you'd win. Yeah, and he was hard. Like he was, you know, really hard on the training track, and hard if you weren't playing well, and hard if you were playing well. Um, but he, um, the belief he gave me as a player, I never thought that we weren't going to win a game. So when we ran out, hmm. no matter if we were, you know, 15th, 16th, first on the ladder, you thought you could win that game. So that was, I think that's an incredible um, attribute for someone to be able to make the whole 22 believe that, let alone just one person. Absolutely. Yeah. So James, how did, and I'll use the adjective, you'll, you'll deflect it, but I'll use it. How did you become great? What did you do from your time before we get to the injuries and things that slowed you down, what did you do that the other players weren't? I, I don't know. I presume there was things you were doing yeah. to elevate yourself at, at, a, at a rapid rate to become a, a star of the game. I think it's a couple of things. I think my the upbringing and the passion I had for not just Essendon but football that was given to me by my grandfather and father. Like they, they just they had a passion for the game and the Essendon Football Club that still not many people have, and that that was passed on to me. So. 
the not the only goal in life. He just wanted to play for Essendon, and you wanted to be successful. And then it was a then it was a level of hard work. Like my grandfather and father both worked very hard and made me work very hard. Like you know, talk about getting up at three thirty in the morning. That was drilled into me getting up at five o'clock in the morning, snowing in Can not snowing, but you know, mm-hmm. basically snowing in Canberra, and working and running three or four times a week. So I was taught to work hard. Um, so that when I got to Essendon in the first couple of years, or the first year particularly, wasn't what it should have been, injuries, but I just didn't work hard enough. And I met um, a guy called Danny Corcoran who came as the um, sort of footy manager and head of fitness back at the start of the 93 season. And I went to him and said, I, I'm, not, I'm not fit enough, can you help me? And he said, well, you meet me at um, Aberfell Running Track at 6 mm. o'clock, three mornings a week for the rest of the year, and I'll, and I'll help you. So I'd turn up and, and we'd train. And that got me super fit. And then, you know, I had reasonable football ability. So put that with the fitness, then I was able to get better. Yeah. I have a question for you here. It's not from me. It's from my son. Okay. So I have a couple of kids, James. Blessed to have a couple of happy, healthy children. And whoever is most invested in the guests asks a question. Okay. Uh, so his name is Mac, but he operates, don't ask me why, a self-declared nickname as the Big Penguin. So <laughs> the Big Penguin is now... Self-declared, is it? Self-declared okay. when he was three. He right. said that he wanted to change his name to not just the Penguin, it needed to be the, the Big, Big Penguin. penguin. Okay. Um, so this is the Big Penguin to you. Hey, Herdy, Big Penguin here. First off, I've been watching some of your YouTube highlights and you can kick so well on your left and right foot. I find that really cool because Dad and I have been doing lots of practice on my left foot and it's getting a lot better. Anyway, how much practice did it take you to get your left foot as good as your right foot? Well, the Bing Penguin mustn't have seen too many foot, too much footage. Well... I think you're probably talking yourself down a bit. No, the left foot is the left foot was a weakness of mine. Was it? Yeah, because one of the reasons is I had a massive knee injury early in my career on my left, so I didn't kick for two years on my left. Right, Couldn't. at all, at all. Did not so hurt my left in the in start of '91 season. So I'd been at Essen for six weeks and then hurt my left knee. So I didn't kick on it at all for two years. Just couldn't. Um, so yeah, it wasn't wasn't run my strengths, but I think it's very very important. And it's all about your ball drop. It's all about your hand strength, hand grip. So we're all very strong in our dominant yep. hand and not in our. So that ball grip, that ball strength, that touch and feel on your left is very, very important. I'll pass that on to the Penguin. Mm. We get to 1996 and you obviously won the Brownlow medal. Um, before we get to the medal itself, James, I loved it. I must say I loved it. <laughs> Whose decision to wear the tartan <laughs> waistcoat? Now, I loved it. But I want to know whose decision. So I was very lucky to have a sponsorship. That, that was very rare. For, <laughs> a sponsorship for with, with, with the Highland <laughs> Meats or? With a company called Anthony Squires. Right. What did made, Anthony Squires do? They made, they, they owned sort of a holding company for a number of clothing brands. Okay. And one of them was a suit company. Right. And so the day of the Brownlow, so we'd lost the prelim to, this is true, so we'd lost the prelim to Sydney yep. on the Friday night or Saturday night. Was that Lockett? Yeah, that was a locket point. Right. Thanks for sorry, reminding me. Sorry. That's very good. Locket's going to be there. Locket's got it. 50 metres from goal. If he kicks a point, the Swans are into the grand final. What a finish. Any score. Otherwise, we play extra time. Locket, the most important kick of his career. Any score will do. He kicks That's the day I saw Sheeds go off. I've never seen him go off his tree like he did that day. What happened? Tell me. Well, I st- we still blame him. So we're 26, <laughs> we were 26 points up or yep. 24 points up with about 20 minutes to go or something. It's probably not whatever it was. Yep. And then he decided we had a heap of injuries. So I think Wangan was injured. Lloyd was in hospital. Buick hurt himself. Mercurid was, you know, so we'd lost four or five players. And he basically switched the back line, the forward line. Right. So there's uh, Justin Blumfield who hasn't played back line in his life playing on I don't know, whoever it is. I'm playing on Dale Lewis at half back. And my defensive part of my game wasn't my strength. <laughs> anyway, so the ball went through us a couple of times and they kicked goals. We come off the ground. 
And do you remember the classic um, Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, David Beckham, where he's Threw kicked the, the boot, boot. Yep. and it's hit him in the head? Well, yep. we had one of those before that actually happened. Did where you? He's just, he picked up a boot and just thrown it. And if Rick Olorenshaw hadn't have ducked, he wouldn't, his, <laughs> head, his head would have ended up out, <laughs> right. out on the SCG. But he, he took five minutes of the strip, the strip the paint off the walls right. in the old SCG uh, change rooms that day. But yes, anyway, we'd lost, come back to Melbourne, and they asked me to go out to pick a suit. And I said, I can't go out there till about two, three o'clock because a mate of mine called Johnny Garno has just won the premiership with um, Uni Blues and they're having their celebrity drink. So yep. I want to go a few drinks with him. You know, it's the first time at Gil McLaughlin. Right. So Gil McLaughlin. Oh, because he was playing. at University Blues, of course. Yeah, so he's half tank telling everyone how good he was. <laughs> <clears throat> Don't, this doesn't go to air, does it? No. Nah, no. Hello to Gil. <laughs> anyway, so after that, so I have maybe six, seven beers in me and turned up uh, to the suit hire place. <laughs> And the lady said, there's two options. There's a really nice black number here, which I think is a bit boring. Why don't you go with the tartan number? And um, Seven beers in. I went with the tartan number. Right. Yeah. And had the black eye as well to off. Had, yeah, off. the was stitches the and the black eye. That was from the prelim, yeah. Right. Yeah, so it was, you know. It was a good look, I thought. Oh, it was fantastic. I said yeah. that, right? I've still got – I've been off a lot of money to, to, to sell that right. tartan. And, no, I'll hold on to it. <laughs> the, I, I look back at the count. Um which I, I didn't recall, you got three votes in the last game. The last game, yeah. To tie Vossi. Essendon versus Footscray. Essendon, M. McCurry, one vote. Footscray, C. Grant, two votes. Essendon, J. Hurd, three votes. James Hurd and Michael Voss, the joint winners of the 1996 Brownlow. Did you know you'd played a good game? I did, but McCurry played very well and so did Chris Grant. Right. So I think... Grant got two. Yeah, so my theory was that if... And I think McCurry kicked the goal to win the game with 30 seconds to go. If he had missed that goal, I think it would have gone to Chris Grant. Right. There was, there was that, sort of, yeah, that okay. sort of game. Like it played well, but it wasn't like I was so far ahead. I think McCurry and Chris had played very well as well. So, looking back, well, now you as a as a near fifty year old man, what does the Brownlow Medal, the Premiership Medals, the three Anzac Day Medals, what do they mean to you now? The Premiership Medals, are by far and away, the the Anzac ones. I'll explain why are very special. But the Please the, do. the, um, the Premiership ones, and this year we've been lucky. We've had a ninety three reunion where we had lunch with a few of us in East Melbourne. That was maybe two or three months ago. And then, you know, there's Tim Watson and Langanine and Paul Salmon and, and you're always the, the young one of the, the team. So, you know, you've got your elder statesman there. And Darren Buick, Joe Mercedes. And then we had our 2000 reunion, which we went to have two years ago, but COVID, COVID. we couldn't um, at the MCC committee rooms on Sunday afternoon for the Eston Collingwood game, which went really well for the Bombers. <laughs> um, Hello to Jamie Elliott, if you listen. And we, I think th- three of my teammates, ex teammates, almost got thrown out for banging on the committee room window. <laughs> and we actually, they, they, the, the guy in there said, You know, this is not. <laughs> This is not a nightclub, don't you? <laughs> yeah. um, so, but but the reason I tell say that is because they that that's just really special to to go back and spend an hour or two or three hours with those guys and nothing has changed. So the bond's still there. It's but it's the dynamic is still there, like okay. the, the hierarchy of the you know the, the Joker, the, the the alpha male, the this, it's still the that. The same. It's it's still that. You know, Lloyd is still around the edges trying to upset people. Um, <laughs> Steve Lesio is still telling bad jokes. <laughs> Um, you know, there's, there's the Joe Mercedi and Adam Ramanaskis drinking 25 cans and looking suspiciously guilty in the corner. Uh, so there's just nothing's, it's just that, and it, within five minutes, that it, it's like, how does that happen? Yeah. So that, that, that's why not only, and not only is the, the people who played in the premiership, but your teammates throughout and then the staff. So we went back to a restaurant afterwards and just some of the staff that were part of it, the masseurs, the physios, Came along and yeah, it, it did not, it hadn't changed. So that that to me is the, the special one. Um, the Anzac Day medals were really, uh, really special. My father, my grandfather on my mother's side had fought in Papua New Guinea in the Second World War. And um, did you get the opportunity to talk to him about absolutely, that? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I was young. He died when I was five or six. So, but I do remember talking to him briefly about that. Um, so, what, what it, so, so my, if anyone asked me, 
what episode of this podcast, 160 episodes to listen mm. to, I tell them it was like the eighth, ninth one I did with Jack Jones. Yeah. And he's, I don't know, I don't say it lightly. He's, I think he's the greatest Australian I've ever met. Yeah, Jack. Amazing. And his stories about mateship blew me away, but I could appreciate that probably at the stage of a 43 year old man. Like, well, I, I don't know how much you can take from you, from someone telling you those stories as a kid. No. So there was that with, with my grandfather and then talking to my grandmother briefly about it when he died. But then there was also my uncle on my grand, my father's side, who was a fighter, it was a bomber pilot in the bomber planes flying over um, France and bombing um, France, Germany, sorry, in the Second World War. And got, he got shot down, down over France. Wow. So, and I'll tie this back to Essendon, what, what he used to do for Essendon. But he was shot down over France, um, found by the resistance. They, they held him in a, in a jail. They held he and five other um, pilots in a jail they'd rescued. And then they, had to, then they were told by, that they'd go with this guy and this guy would take them out over the Pyrenees and take them out through Spain. Huh. You know, and they got to the outskirts of France and this guy turned out to be a German collaborator, Oi. turned them in, <clears throat> handed up in a, um, in, a, in a concentration camp in Buchenwald and caught pneumonia. And the only reason they didn't, they didn't kill him um, with a lot of the other um, soldiers and the, 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 the Jewish people um, when, it w- when it was liberated was because because of the pneumonia so bad, he had so many blankets lying on top of him. He was in the corner and they forgot about him. You're kidding. And so he came back to, he lived in Mooney Ponds. What a story. So when I boarded in, in, in Melbourne for the, in my second year, I boarded two doors down from him. So he'd walk down, we'd tell stories and he, and he wouldn't tell this story that, that well. Anyway, his role, he, was, he ended up being the weatherman for the Essendon Football Club. The weatherman. The weatherman. So Sheeds would ring him. What's the weather going to do? It's going to do this. It's going to do that. (laughs) So just the tie-in of the family. So those Anzac Day medals were really special because I think that day to me was, it was just such a great, it is a great day. It's a great football day, but it's it's a a great Australian day. And and our daughter was born on the same day as well. So that, 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 that medal in 2000 was very special for a number of reasons. I'm going to ask Major General McLaughlin to present the Anzac Day medal to the player whose conduct and play during the game best exemplifies the Anzac spirit. That of skill, of courage and adversity, self-sacrifice, teamwork and fair play. From the Essendon Football Club, James Hurd. That is the end of James Hurd Part A. So much more to come on the flip side. See you there. <laughs>